do you know what time it is? It's Supernatural Story Time. And if you're easily scared, and even if you're not, there's only one thing left to do. Just turn off the lights, because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark. Stories to listen to when you drive, Volume 6, Story 1. Creepiest thing I've encountered outdoors was at work two years ago. It was very early in the morning, around 2 or 3 a.m., and I was in a very open area waiting for my boss to return with some equipment. As I was waiting, I got that feeling like I was being watched by something that didn't want me there or had some intent on harming me. I stood up and looked around. The moon was very bright that night, and I could clearly see all the way to the tree lines, probably 50 yards on both sides of me. Nothing around me. I calmed down a bit, took off my pack, off my back, and got my drink out. As I opened my drink, I heard this whoosh, whoosh, whoosh sound flying through the air from behind me. It was like the sound that a stick makes if you throw it overhand. I literally dove out of the way with my bag, falling to the ground and my drink flying through the air, spilling as I jumped away. I recovered from my diving experience, took out my radio out of my bag, called my boss. I said, I'm not trying to freak you out or anything, but I'm on my way back to the shop. I had something thrown at me. As I'm talking to him, I'm looking around on the snowy ground for anything that could have been hurled at me. There was nothing on the ground but snow. I had no idea what the hell was going on at this point. His reply of, already got a head start on you, I'll see you there sounded out of breath like he was running. I gathered my stuff and started hauling ass back to the shop. I got back and met up with my boss and he's pacing back and forth in the shop freaking out. Got him to calm down and he tells me he was on his way back up to me when he got the same feeling I got before something got thrown at me. He said after he got that feeling he stopped to look around and something clearly two-legged started walking towards him, barely crunching in the snow. Then he said it started running at him, but there was nothing around him in sight. All the sounds of movement stopped, and he froze to listen for more sounds. Then he said a hot breath was hitting the back of the neck, and he proceeded to freak the F out. He said he ran the whole way back to the shop, and about halfway back is when he heard me on the radio. The crazy part about this whole thing is the area where we were working has several burial mounds in the woods from Native Americans. Apparently, there also used to be an altar of some kind made out of stone that was buried during a construction project a few decades ago. I have two theories for this incident. One, we both simultaneously had a 15-minute trip on acid. Or, two, I had a ghost hatchet thrown at me and my boss had a ghost native stalking him as a nice way of saying, keep the F out. Story number two. I'm a young fellow living in New Zealand, down past Australia for those who don't know. Generally, it's full of nice people, but occasionally you get a nutter, just like everywhere in the world, I suppose. But anyway, a few months ago, I was with some mates at the uni pub and we decided to go for a tramp in Fiordland near Queenstown a tourist hotspot for winter sports and beautiful lakes and mountains. Anyway, 
My friends went on a Friday morning and I left on the Saturday night as I had worked until late and they said they'd wait for me around in the first hut. This was a serious hike through sub-zero temperatures after dark. I no one around to give you a hand as it was the off-season for tramping. Anyway, I arrived in the car park about 3 a.m. on the Sunday morning, got my gear together and headed off. A few days before I left, I had this creepy dream about being stalked through the wilderness in an attempt to be killed by a stranger. Now, I'm a scientist in training, so I'm relatively sensible and well-grounded, except on occasions I have strange dreams and get this extreme feeling of deja vu. Anyway, this is the off-season, 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning and a few degrees about zero, not the time for anyone to be out, I thought. I shouldn't have been there. Because of this dream, I came equipped. Better safe than sorry. I'm a hunter generally rather than a tramper when I do go tramping, though I wear all my camo gear and look like a monkey, but I really don't mind. But this night, I'm in all my camo, headlamp, pack, boots, the whole shebang. Especially due to my dream, I had my two best mates my big nasty knives, a 12-inch Muela Scorpion pig sticker, and a Muela tactical knife. Anywho, I'm walking along. A few hours into it, I was planning to walk through the night to catch up to my mates, and I keep hearing these noises. The dream springs to mind, and I loosened the clasp on my scorpion. Now, I was thinking this could have been anything from a wild boar to a possum, but I wanted to be ready. I keep walking with my ears working overtime. More noises every now and again, and I was freaking out inside myself. Wanted to head back, but telling myself to have a concrete milkshake and harden the F up. Anyway, I'd been walking an hour or so, and I was on the straight stretch without much cover on it. About a hundred meters past where it went straight, I hear the scuff as a shoe kicked a rock in the ground about five meters behind me. I turned around so fast, I reckon I almost broke the bloody sound barrier. And caught in the light of my headlamp was this guy. No pack, trainers instead of hiking boots and jeans and a plaid shirt on. Not equipped for the four-day, 62-kilometer track ahead. I was almost as surprised to see him as he was to see me whip around with my foot-long knife. So I summoned up my gruffest and manliest voice, considering I almost wet my pants and I told him to walk in front. I let him get a good distance ahead of me, but still within sight, and followed. After walking another 45 minutes, I realized how cold it was. I turned back to the car and set off on a steady jog. I slept under all my gear and woke up cold. It got to minus 10 degrees Celsius. I had to ram the door of my car with my whole weight behind it to open the door in it. Took a few goes even then. I started early in the morning just before sunrise. I eventually got to my friends after some boot difficulties. They were new and I thought it would be a good opportunity to wear them in. I ended up with a one inch diameter holes on the back of my feet which hurts like shit. Anyway, when I got to the hut, which is a 16 kilometer steep hike up a hill, I asked my mates if anyone had come through saying they encountered a crazy guy with some big knives and they said they hadn't seen anyone that fitted my description. On the way out though, 
I lagged behind, away, as my feet were killing me and my friends were eager to get back to civilization where the beer and the food was. I was walking along, daylight this time, and I had the horrible feeling of being watched. This happened for a while, along with the rustles in the undergrowth. I just walked along, making lots of noises and brandishing my knives about in plain sight, saying that I couldn't wait to get out of the National Park and go kill some stuff. Funny enough, I didn't have any problems. Next story. This happened to me back in 1975. I was living in Coparas Cove, Texas at the time. There was a place I liked to go squirrel hunting that was west and kind of south of there. Don't remember exactly, but I would take Highway 190 towards Lampasas and then turn south on a paved road and somewhere maybe 15 or so miles out was a creek off to the left of the road that was normally dry and had trees growing along the banks. I would drive off the road and park next to the creek and walk down the dry creek bed sniping squirrels. One day, I got there about an hour before dark and started walking down the creek like I always did, but got a lot further from the truck than I had realized before starting back. By the time I got to the truck, it was fully dark. I stuck my twenty-two in the rack as I got in and cranked up and started towards home. After about a mile, I started to get this uneasy feeling. I couldn't really put my finger on it, but it kept getting worse until I was actually frightened without knowing why. Something had kept trying to catch my attention, and finally, it suddenly did. My dash lights had made the inside of my windshield a kind of dim mirror, and I suddenly realized that there was some sort of movement I could see in the reflection behind me. I looked over my shoulder and saw that there was a man standing in the bed of my truck right behind the cab. I could only see his legs as he was apparently bracing himself with his hands on the top of the truck. Scared the daylights out of me and without thinking, I floored the accelerator. As I was getting up to about 50 miles or so, I came to a fairly sharp curve to the left and I didn't slow down much. Halfway through the curve, he left the bed and sailed into the darkness towards the shoulder. I didn't stop but kept going. Close to the town, I saw a squad car pulling out from a store of some kind and flashed my high beams and turned off and pulled up beside him where he had stopped. I told him what happened. He asked for my license and my phone number and said he would go check it out. By now, I got to thinking that maybe I was in big trouble if the guy was hurt bad or dead, but I never heard anything about it. Thinking back on it, maybe it was just a harmless vagrant that meant to spend the night sleeping in the truck bed. If so, I send my sincere apologies to him wherever he is. At the time, I was too startled to think clearly. Next story. My dad and I were working on something in his shop, which is about 150 yards from the house down towards the river bottoms. And there's a small orchard fenced in between the house, the shop, and a forest to the north. We've been busy probably servicing the hay cutter when we heard a vehicle coming, but we couldn't see it for the forest off to our left. Mind you, by the time they were getting near, they were about three quarters of a mile down a private dirt road that twists around to get to the house. Now, this could have been the neighbors or family members or somebody, and at first we didn't think much of it, but as they got closer, we could tell by the sound that they were driving really, really slow, and the road isn't that rough. We started to get worried. Then a red truck 
comes into view around the house, heading our way, and for some reason we don't want them to. We both wish we had brought a gun from the house, and we were wondering where the dog had gotten off to since she wasn't barking about the arrival of these people. An uneasy feeling washed over us, and we armed ourselves with some tools. The big heavy kind of wrenches that grip nuts bigger than an inch and a half and are about two feet long. By now the truck had reached the gate, and we can make out two scruffy-looking younger men in the cab, probably mid to late twenties, but they don't see us watching them from around the farm equipment about 70 yards away. Now, for some reason, the driver decides he's going to get out and get the gate. Why the passenger didn't, I'll never know. But right as his foot touches the ground, 70 pounds of German Shepherd fury erupts at his feet and he hits his head on the ceiling of the truck, trying to jump back in and close the door. And we can see Riku, the shepherd, jumping and throwing herself against the window trying to get in. The truck flew backwards in a 90-degree arc, took off at about 40 miles per hour, bouncing back the way they had come. The German shepherd had stalked them for some reason, instead of announcing a presence, which is odd because she knew we were there, and when she knows we're there, she normally just barks. We really don't know what she does when we aren't there. But now, we have a pretty good idea. What we never knew about was who these two men were and what they wanted. Next story. had an old friend who once told me a story about when she lived in Canada in an old house. She said that it was haunted and everyone knew it. She only told me one detailed story but refused to tell me any more. She said because they would hear noises and sense things in the house. Whenever she had to go to the bathroom at night, she would hold it until one of her brothers would go. As soon as she saw the lights of the bathroom turn on, she would know they were there and she would just hurry on and go before they left. So one night she sees the lights go on and she goes out. When she gets to the bathroom, the lights are on but no one's in there. She said she freaked out a bit at that point and she turned around to go to her room and saw a kid standing by the stairs that go to the first floor. She said the kid did not look like a cloud or transparent just looked like a regular kid, but creepy because he was pale and his eyes looked all black with no white. She said he was holding a ball and he dropped it and it went down the stairs and he chased after it. I think I remembered her saying he was either laughing or crying as he went down. It was a long time ago I heard this. Well, she got hysterical and ran to her parents' room and made her dad look for the kid, but there was no one in the house. This was before her parents accepted that the house was haunted but she said that soon after, her dad experienced something, but she stopped talking and didn't tell me what. Here's another story. I heard this one from another person who lived in a haunted house. Didn't know her personally, but did get to ask a few questions. She said that there was a spirit that lived in her house. Something had happened once that they had their dog tied up in the kitchen because it would tear up stuff. So they're watching TV in the living room and they see their dog run across from the kitchen to a bedroom. So she runs after the dog, calling it as she's running after it. The dog didn't listen and ran under her bed. She looks under the bed, and the dog isn't there. They go back to the kitchen, and their dog is tied up like he's supposed to be. She said they would frequently see that spirit that took the form of their dog. She also said that her father was skeptical of the house being haunted, but one day he had an experience. 
He was sleeping in his room and heard a loud thump on the wall. On the other side of the wall was his daughter's closet. He said, got up, went to the wall and heard the thump again, then heard what sounded like a bloody head slowly sliding down the wall, like if someone had been pushed hard against the closet wall and their head got split open as they slowly slid to the floor. No one was in the other room at the time. Next story. This happened in 1981 or 82, not sure anymore. I made friends with a fellow I worked with and offered to take him gigging for frogs. He was born in the city and had never spent any time in the woods at night. The farm I had permission to do it on was only about a mile from my place. My friend showed up at 10.30 or so and I gave him a gig and a flashlight. We decided to walk to the other farm. We didn't get far before we both heard something walking in the dark to the side of us. I've been in the woods all my life, and I've had plenty of deer follow me, but I wasn't going to tell him that. It was clear he was getting spooked. We climbed the fence and continued on. Then we heard something else climb the fence. Deer don't climb fences. I tried looking around with a flashlight, but he wanted none of it. We could see the house lights of the place we were going to, and he ran off on me and beat on the guy's door until they let him in. By the time I got there, Mr. Barber, the landowner, and his wife were out on the porch and wanted to know what was going on. Mr. Barber and I went back and had a look around, but found nothing. My friend refused to walk back. Mr. Barber gave us a ride back to my place. We never did find out what or who it was that was following us. My friend decided that frogging wasn't for him. He also refused to go on several fishing trips. I have invited him to. I can't say I was too comfortable with what happened, but I haven't let it stop me from frogging. Next story. When I and my wife were quite a bit younger, we decided that we would spend the bicentennial outdoors. Yes, July of 1976. Yes, we're old. We lived in Pueblo at the time and decided to go hiking, fishing, and camp along Lime Creek between Durango and Silverton. There wasn't anything other than rookies in the creek, but they were plentiful and fun to catch. We left our car by the side of the road along Old Lime Creek Road, about five miles in from the highway, and packed in upstream along the creek with our shepherd, Revel. It only took us about an hour to get to where we wanted to camp, a nice meadow beside the creek, just before a slot canyon that required you to swim to get any further upstream. Either that, or take a several-mile detour. We camped uneventfully that night, the 3rd of July, enjoying the sounds of the rippling creek and nature all around us. It was such a nice night that we just slept out under the stars, didn't bother to pitch our little backpacking tent. A little cool, but we had the fire going in our lightweight 30-degree bags, so we were very comfortable. The next day, we had breakfast, packed up, and we all swam our way up the creek to the next wide spot, with a bit of bank in the canyon, only about 150 yards or so. Now, Rebel was never one to turn down a chance to get wet, but we had to do quite a bit of coaxing to get him to follow us up the creek. We fished and splashed upstream a bit, and before we knew it, it was lunchtime. We thought we'd fry up some of those brookies, but we were in this slot canyon that terminated in a fairly deep pool with about a 10-foot rocky waterfall at the end of it. We decided that I would scale the waterfall and pull the dog and the packs up, and then I'd help Maggie get up. 
it was fairly difficult, even with the help of an old cable left over from a mining operation that was hanging down the sidewall of the canyon. It took a lot of effort. And though we finally made it, we looked back down that waterfall and wondered what the heck we were thinking. Reba was none too happy about it either and seemed to get more irritable by the minute. We found enough driftwood at the rocky top of the falls to get a fire started and get the fish fried up, but that was about it. You know the uneasy feeling that others mention when telling stories about being in the outdoors? Well, it was like a switch turned on and we all of a sudden became aware of our surroundings. It grew like a cancer and I actually watched the hair on the back of Rebel's neck stand up. Maggie felt it too, and we both noticed that it was getting dark fast down in this canyon. First thought in my head was a cat, and I actually felt a bit better about that because I figured the cat would leave us be. Between the fire and the dog, I told Maggie what I thought, and she seemed to feel a bit better too. I did not want to get caught in the dark in the canyon for a bunch of reasons flash floods, etc. I spied what looked like a mine shaft about 200 feet above us. A heck of a steep climb, but it looked like our best bet. We pulled out our flashlights, and by the time we reached it, it was pitch black. The dog was a mess by this point, whipping around in circles, whining, yelping, and generally being a real pain in the ass. Maggie and I were drenched with sweat and immediately began to freeze. July in the mountains is a weird thing. I've seen blizzard conditions before, but this was like someone turned on the deep freeze. We were at what looked like the start of a mine. It only went back about 10 feet, but there was evidence of fires at the mouth, and they curiously looked fresh. I was too tired to think more about it. I knew we had to get out of our wet clothes, pitch the tent, and climb in our bags before we got serious hypothermia. That was no fun, let me tell you having to do all of that by the light of a rapidly dying flashlight, and there was no firewood anywhere close. I cursed myself several times for letting things get this far out of control. We finally got the tent pitched right there in the back of this little cave, buck naked as we had no dry clothes left. The sleeping bags were slightly damp, too, even though we had stuffed them in plastic garbage bags before a swimming expedition up the canyon. We froze was miserable. About one in the morning, I called Rebel into the tent for a little heat. The dog seemed to have calmed down greatly, and with the added heat, we drifted off. Sometime during the night, I heard something that just about woke me. I was still in a haze, so I fell asleep again immediately. I woke up one other time, because I thought I heard Rebel yip a little bit, but again, I was in and out. I put my hand out to pet his head, and he licked my hand. I fell asleep again. Maggie later said she fell asleep at the same time as I did, but never woke up at all during the night. I woke to the most horrible noise I've ever heard come out of a hundred-pound woman. Just the most god-awful shrieks that I've ever heard. I never want to hear that again. I opened my eyes just in time to see a man at the mouth of the shaft, silhouetted against the morning daylight, looking back at us with the most twisted evil grin I have ever seen on the face of another human. I scrambled to get free of my tightly zipped bag and the little tent while he just crouched there and grinned. When I was about free, he disappeared. Now, 
We were granola crunching, tree hugging, anti-gun nature freaks at the time. So the only thing I had of any consequence as a weapon was my camp knife. I found it after what seemed like hours of searching, but really was probably under a minute. I very cautiously made my way to the entrance, millimeters at a time. The guy was gone. About that time, Maggie started screaming and whimpering again, so I rushed back to the back of the shaft. She had struggled out of the tent and was pointing at what used to be Rebel. His head was nearly severed, and the tent and the bags were ruined with all the blood all over everything. She had blood all over her, so the first thing I did was to make sure she was not injured. Then I checked myself. We were okay. It was all Rebel's blood. We put on our still damp, cold clothes from the night before, and then we noticed that our boots were gone. We were in trouble. I had some paracord, so we tied some shirts and towels around our feet and climbed back down towards the creek. We left everything in the mine except for the knife and some stuff that we shoved in our pockets. It took us eight hours to get back to the car, and we were like hamburger. Hands, feet, arms, and legs scraped raw, bruised and bleeding. We jumped in, the car started right up thankfully, and we left a dust cloud that blanketed the valley as we sped down the rough trail toward Durango. We limped to the sheriff's office, and we looked like hell. We got our story out. My wife threw tears and me talking way too fast, but finally got it all out. The deputies said that they would go out first thing in the morning and asked us to stay in town. We had no money for a hotel, so they let us stay in a cell after we showered and changed into prison jumpsuits. We were there at the jail waiting when the expedition returned with a convoy of three trucks. I noticed that all the officers who were quite wet and filthy gave us dirty looks as they passed us and the deputy that we had talked to the day before hurried us back to his office. Then came the interrogation. Turns out that some animal had spread the dog's remains all down the slide to the creek, and he said that there was nothing else there. No tent, no backpacks, nothing. He asked us if we had any drugs. I did not want to admit to him that we had some herbs, so I denied it. It was clear that we were fighting a losing battle. They had come to the conclusion that we were wandering out in the woods high on LSD while a mountain lion had gotten our dog. The bastard even made us change back into our filthy clothes and give back to jumpsuits right then. He told us that he had better never see us again. We left. Maggie was sobbing. I have never been back to Durango. The thing that I still have nightmares about years later, and I have never mentioned this to Maggie, is... The second time I woke up when I heard Rebel yell, was that when his throat was cut? And if it was, was it the dog who licked my hand before I fell back asleep? I still go out in the wilderness, never overnight, out well before dark, only with other people and always with a big gun. I respect animals, but I fear people. Next story. One night, after working at APAC, my girlfriend and I were on our way home. It was around 11 p.m., very dark, and we had about a 45-minute drive in the country. We were on back roads, and there was no traffic. We saw a truck on the side of the road about 200 yards before a stop sign. As I slowed for my sign, my friends started shrieking, Go, 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 go! And of course, I'm like, what? I was 17, driving a 1987 Plymouth Champ 
that was a stick and not very responsive, even when floored. I looked out the window, and there was a man running up out of a deep ditch, coming at my door, about six feet away. She's still screaming, so I look at her and see there's a man coming from the ditch, running at her door, too. I thought, screw the stop sign, and I hammered that little turd. We got away, but it was super freaky. They could have been standing by the truck. Why would they have been in the ditch on opposite sides of a deserted road and running at teenage girls in a tiny car? Next story. This is what happened to me while I was working off in the bush alone. I'm on the number one highway, Trans-Canada, going east towards Brandon. I believe it was just outside of Verdon or somewhere near there. Anyways, I was working as a paver at that time. When there was no trucks for the paver, I decided to walk through a wheat field and into a small bush on the other side to go take a long-needed bathroom break. As I walked through the field, I noticed something a little strange. Well, it wasn't too strange at the moment, but just wait. There were hundreds of little blackbirds sitting on a hyperpole cable. They were all very silent and did not move. Okay, still not strange. As I walked past them, the section of them nearest to me jumped up a few to the next section, and that section jumped up and moved to the next section. They kept doing this until I got to the bush. Okay, I think that's very weird, but that's not even close to being as weird as what happened in a few minutes. I walked into the bush, and when I did, I heard thousands of birds chirping, calling, etc. It was very surreal and very strange. But I then proceeded to urinate on a stump. After I was done, I decided to take a little gander in the bush to see if there was anything interesting. I found several old stub-necked beer bottles, and then as I walked to the east side of the bush, that's when I found it. What I found was a metal wood shack. It was probably 10 or 15 feet long, maybe 8 feet wide or so. It had a slanted roof on it, but it looked like it caved in. As I walked near to it, I felt like I was being watched. I felt a vile, filthy slime wash over me. I felt sick. It was a disgusting feeling, like your body's covered in motor oil or something. But I continued to walk closer to it, even though I felt thoroughly disgusted by the shock. I wanted to investigate it further. The feeling of being watched got more intense. And as I did feel that I also got that vile feeling even worse. Now, I love to explore places like this. But this place creeped me out big time. I also noticed that the chirps of the birds went silent. Dead silent. It was too eerie for me. But I decided to make my way into the little building. It had two broken windows and a metal screen, more like a cage door, that was torn off from the hinges. I got a look inside from it from a distance of 8 to 10 feet away. I wouldn't get any closer, but the inside of the shack was covered in leaf litter, dead branches, and several small trees. The birds still weren't chirping, and I decided to leave. It was far too creepy for me, and I decided to get back to work. As I left, I constantly kept looking around me, but I couldn't see anything or anyone. But I could still feel someone or something watching me. As I left the little bush, the birds followed me and went back to their perching spots on the hydro poles where they continued to do their little section change until I got back into the field. I didn't tell anyone at work about the incident, 
but I did tell my girlfriend about what happened. She thought it was weird that I got such a feeling because she knows I love to explore creepy houses, buildings, cemeteries, etc. I wanted to go back and investigate it further since I had a limited view of what was inside, but now it's snowing. So if there was anything or anyone living there, I would be able to see the tracks. But then I think, what if I get that creepy feeling and there are no footprints or anything like that?